There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence,
Good morning, good morning. Thank the Lord for our little rain yesterday. I hope hope you were under the cloud yesterday. They're kind of small here lately, but we got a little bit at our house. Bless him. Um, we'll be on page 1353, 1353 of the church Bibles today. It'll be first chapter of Colossians on 1353. Uh, real quick, we're going to continue to uh, keep uh, Martin Placencia in our prayers, and Lee Martin and his family. And uh, Nina has got an MRI this week on her back, so we pray that that would all go well according to God's purpose and plan. And we also want to remember the families uh, in the Allen, Texas area. Um, if you haven't heard, there was a tragic um, shooting down there. And so what I want to remind you to hold on to is what the enemy comes to destroy, Christ has a better plan. Any one of those people who perished in that, that walked with the Lord, will never die spiritually. So bless him that that's our hope that we hold on to. And uh, we don't get fearful of these things on earth because we, we try to look at things eternally. All right, we're going to be in verses 15 through 18. <clears throat> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Amen, and bless him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we bless you for a time together that we can come today, Lord, and uh, give you honor and praise with our worship, and just be reminded, Lord, of how limited our understanding is. Uh, our perspective is of this physical world, but Lord, help us to become more and more eternally and spiritually minded in each day that we live here. Uh, we bless you. We do lift up these families in this town that have seen this tragedy. Uh, we mourn with them. We cry out to them. We pray, God, that your name be lifted up to these families, that they see strength in your name and in the blood of Jesus. They will feel healing. And, Father, we just bless you for the people around them, that they will lift you up as well, and that somehow through this, your name can be lifted high. Lord, we know whose work this is. And I pray, God, that your name not be drug into this, uh, for the evil that was done, Lord. We know that Satan continues to work in things like this, and so we dare not blame you for what the enemy has done. We bless you. We thank you for your goodness, and we pray, God, for these that we've mentioned this morning. We bless you, Lord, that uh, you would continue to work in Martin Placencia's uh, physical body and uh, Lee Martin's body, and we, we pray for the doctors, Lord, as they uh, conduct this MRI on, on Nina this week. Lord Jesus, that you would be there, you would guide them, you'd give them wisdom beyond anything they were taught. Lord, you would, you would give them wisdom they need to figure out this back pain for Nina. We bless you for time here, Lord Jesus. We come humbly, and we give you praise and honor, and we beg you for a word today, Father, that you would come 
and grace us with your word here and in, your, in the children's classes, Lord, that your name be lifted high, that your truth be proclaimed, and that you would work, Lord, in our lives and challenge us as we go forth today. We bless you. In your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Good morning. Well, um, I began studying in the book of Romans this week. God called me and has been talking to me about it for several weeks. And he uh, began this week early on. He said, this is the time that we're going to begin to study in the book of Romans. So if you'll turn with me to, in your Bible, to page 1293. <coughs> Pardon my allergies this morning, as many of y'all are struggling, I am as well. But we'll, uh, with the Lord's help and blessing, we'll be great. Page 1293, Romans 1. And uh, as you're turning there, I want us to talk just a little bit and have a little background for the book of Romans. Paul wrote Romans. And uh, interestingly enough, unlike most of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, he actually had not been to Rome, to the churches in Rome, and he knew of them a little bit, but he didn't know many of them well. Um, he knew them some, and, but mostly he knew about their works. And I think we're going to be seeing some of those places today. But many believe that the church was started in Rome out of uh, Jerusalem when they had come for Pentecost and to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and God's spirit overcame many and 3,000 were changed. If you'll put your marker right here in Romans, we're going to come back and forth, but I want you just to look at this. Um, so turn back a few pages to Acts. Let me see. <clears throat> see if I can... Yes, turn to page 1253. And verse 10, it's, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 2, verse 10. So starting in, in verse 10, it says, Phrygia and Pamphylia, um, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining with Cyrene, visitors of Rome. Those visitors of Rome, many believe those were the people who were a, uh, a witnesses to what God was doing in his spirit as it fell on the 120 sitting in the room. And so they believe that these went back to Rome and started house churches there in Rome. And when we think about Paul writing to the churches, oftentimes we think of big churches like we see in today's time. But actually, these churches were much like our churches. They were a few people gathered together in homes. Uh, no one knows exactly how many churches were in Rome, but it is believed that there were several small churches there in house churches in Rome. <clears throat> 
And so Paul is coming, and he's writing while he's in Corinth. And his purpose in writing to the church in Rome is to introduce himself because it's his desire to go to Rome and to really give them a true understanding of his beliefs and his understanding. And um, Paul's desire to want to go to Rome, and we'll see a little more of that in today's reading, is that he had such a heart to share the gospel. He wanted everyone to know truth. He wanted everyone to be changed. He wanted everyone to be saved. And that was Paul's heart. That's why he wanted to go to Rome. As we study through the book of Romans, a couple of things that you might want to know is that a few years before this, the Jewish people under the emperor of Claudius had been expelled. So they'd been sent out of Rome. That left the house churches under the leadership of the Gentiles. They were new churches, and then they were under all of a sudden under the leadership of the Gentiles. Then the Jewish uh, people were allowed to return, the, and the Jewish Christians came back to the house churches. And there was some challenging places there because the Jewish people had been the ones that started the house churches. Now the Gentiles' leaders were carrying on. Now the Jewish Christians came back to the house churches, and it created some separation, some division, some uh, unsurety of how this was all supposed to be. And so Paul is writing in a place to help them to understand what the Bible, I'm sorry, the Bible wasn't written, what the word of God would truly be to these churches. <clears throat> So he wants to encourage both the Jewish people and the Gentile people and how they should respond to God's word. The book of Romans is probably the greatest explanation of theology there is in just one book. And so it is a massive undertaking that I pray God will give us his guidance daily and weekly as we come and study this place to tr truly align with Paul in these places of truth and his, his theology. So let's begin looking at, uh, starting with verse 1. And as we said, Paul is introducing himself. So he starts off here and he says, Paul, 
a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this word in other letters that Paul, he always says, I'm a servant or I'm a bondservant. That's what a bondservant is. He's a servant. And he says, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. It's one of my favorite things that you can say about your relationship if you are truly walking with Jesus is to come to that place and say, I'm a slave to Jesus. I'm a slave to Jesus. And that's what bond servant means. And that's what Paul starts out with. He says, a bond servant of Jesus Christ called, and our Bible says to be, that word to be is actually added in there. It's not really in the original text. I really don't like the word to be to be in there. So I've really marked mine out, if you might choose to do that. And uh, so it reads better to me with what Paul was saying. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle separated to the gospel of God. He was an apostle, one that was sent out, that's what apostle means, and one that was separated to the gospel of God. So God, Paul is saying that God has called him to be an apostle, to be sent out among the nations, and to be separated from the world. Separated from the world to the gospel of God. So he says so many great things in this one verse. He's saying he's separated from everything else in the world just to be committed and dedicated and a servant and a slave to the gospel. So I want to take you for just a minute, leaving your marker here, and let's look at C so that we just define every word so we know exactly what Paul is saying. Let's divine, define the gospel. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. It's on page 1323. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. So he's saying, I'm going to declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. So he says, it's by the gospel that you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's saying this place of the gospel is how you are going to be saved. But he goes on and kind of helps us understand the fullness of what Paul is saying. He says, if you hold fast to the gospel, if you continue. And in fact, Paul says in some places, he says that if you endure to the end, you will be saved. If you just for a moment, believe in the places of the gospel, but your life doesn't reflect that, then that's where he's saying right here, you're not holding fast. 
he goes on in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to Scripture. So that is the gospel. He is, Paul is defining it, and he's saying if you hold fast to it, it is what will bring salvation and he defines it, he says, on, um, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel is that God sent Jesus, his son, to die for our sins, to be buried, and to be raised again. That's the gospel. And Paul is saying that is what he is separated to. And we're going to see that play out throughout Romans. Back in Romans 1, verse 2, he, he is saying this, and then he says in verse 2, which he promised before his, uh, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he's saying that he is separated to this truth, of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is the gospel, which was promised through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. He's saying it was prophesied all the way through the Holy Scriptures. We know that and, and have seen that play out as we even celebrate God's feast. We see Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection in the feast. We see that in the sacrifices that were uh, given in, uh, throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, the sacrificial places, the priesthood understanding. We see these places to help us to understand that it was prophesied all the way through that Jesus would be the Messiah and the way of salvation. Verse 3 says, concerning his son Jesus our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. I love these two verses right here because he's saying in verse 3, he's saying this one that was prophesied about is Jesus Christ our Lord, who was and he's saying in the flesh, as it was prophesied, he's the seed of David. He's saying that was prophesied and that he as a man was uh, according to the seed of David, as it was said. But then in verse 4 it says, and declared to be the son of God. So in both places he's showing that he came as a man and he came as the son of God. There's no place for contradicting these places or disagreeing with these places that Jesus fulfilled the prophesied places of being fully man and fully God. I, heard, I hear a lot of people sometimes say that's impossible. You can't be fully something, uh, fully man, and be fully God. You can only be full of one thing. And I said, well, you don't understand God at all. Because God can be beyond our understanding of fullness. 
And I believe with all my heart that Jesus came fully man and fully God. It says also in verse 4, according to the spirit of holiness. This is the way oftentimes in the Old Testament, the spirit was referred to as the spirit of holiness. We talk about the Holy Spirit. It's certainly the one and the same. But Paul is reflecting back to his Jewish understanding, and he's referring to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of holiness. Now, what is he saying about this spirit of hope? He's saying, and declared. So he's saying, and Jesus declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. I love this understanding. This spirit of holiness and the power. I hope immediately your mind went back to Acts 2. Because if you hold your marker right here in Romans. Let's go back to Acts 2 and just look at that again. So you can see if these people that started the church saw the power of the Holy Spirit as it worked at Pentecost among the disciples in the upper room. And so if you look in Acts 1 on page 1252, page 1252 Acts 1 let's look at verse 8 Jesus is telling his disciples that they should go and wait in Jerusalem after he ascends and to wait for the promise of the Father and if you remember in verse 8 he says but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, go and wait in Jerusalem and you will receive power from the Holy Spirit for one purpose, to be his witness. Now go back to Romans and you understand what Paul is talking about here and why he is saying this. He's saying it was declared that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with the power of the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection of the dead. He's saying by the, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it witnessed that he was the Son of God. It gave testimony. It gave witness to who Jesus was. Let me see. There's a a scripture. Let me see. I think it is. I don't have it written down, but I think it's in 1 Corinthians 15 again on page 1323. We just looked at that. Ah, yes. Thank you, Lord. On down in chapter 15 on page 1323, everybody with me? Let's look on down in verse 14. And it says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. 
And then verse 17 says, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. You see, the resurrected power proved who he is. And without proving who he is, his sacrifice was meaningless. So the resurrection proved who Jesus was. He died on the cross for your sins and paid the penalty. But that penalty was only paid because he resurrected and was fully God and able to place his own righteous body in atonement for our sins. Does that make sense to you? So that's why Paul is saying in verse 4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power. I love that. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, I believe, um, well, let's read on in verse 6. Among whom you also are called of Jesus. So he's starting off here and he's saying, through Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship. Now, he says we there. I think that's so important that we grab hold of because oftentimes we don't feel like we are sent out. But this place of grace is actually a word that means um, the ability, the grace to do, the grace to serve. And then this apostleship means to be sent out. And so what Paul is saying is, is that we... He's talking to the people in the church at Rome, including himself, and including us today. And he said, we've received the grace, the grace to do what God desires for us to do, to be the witness that he desires for us to be. And apostleship, meaning that we are to be sent out. We are not to just hold under our roof, the understanding of who Jesus is, but rather we are to be witnesses every day as you walk into the world, at work, at home, in your, in your friends, wherever you are. When you go out to eat, you are to be an apostle carrying the righteousness of him. We'll come on to see that. and he's saying, so let's read that again. Through him, so through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith, for obedience to the faith. I want you to hold on to that. Among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. So he's saying you're all called. Don't think you're not. If you truly are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a servant and to be a witness. Verse 7, now he tells us who he's writing to, and he says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. That to be again is not supposed to actually be there. And when he says saints, this is not as some people 
would have us to believe that they are people that have died, but they were really great people, and so now we're going to call them saints. That's not at all what Paul is saying at this point or ever in his words. So Paul would never agree with that understanding, but rather saints means to be set apart. So if you are truly a follower of Jesus, you are a saint and should be walking daily in that manner. Do you see that's where Paul is going with this? He's saying, you are saints. You are set apart for the gospel to be witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He is so thankful. He says you have been so faithful in your work that the whole world, of course this is his world that he knew of, but the, everybody's talking about this church in Rome because of their faithfulness, because of their witnessing, because of their sharing and being a servant to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. He's saying everybody's talking about it. Verse 9 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So he's saying, God, God knows this. I pray for you often. I pray for you, he says, always, actually, not often, but always in my prayers. And he says, God is my witness to this. I'm praying for you because you are walking so boldly as a servant, as a bondservant in this call of obedience to your faith. Making request, if by some means, now, that I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So he's saying, not only am I praying always, but I'm always making a request that by some means, somehow, if it's in the will of God, that he would be able to come to them. So it's his greatest desire is to come and be a part of these great people. He says, for I long to see you that I may be, I'm sorry, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the multi, uh, mutual faith, both of you and me. So what Paul is saying right here is that he longs to come and see them so that he can impart some spiritual gifts. Now I've heard this taught upside down and crossways and everything in the world but I want to tell you what I believe with all my heart is that Paul used these words to mean exactly what he's saying he came to be a part of a church that is walking so obedient to the faith that he wants to impart to them the spiritual gifts just like he did to Timothy by the laying on of hands by imparting to them things like gifts of healing and discerning of spirits and wisdom and all of the the gifts of the spirit 
that he talks about in Corinthians. I believe he wants to impart these because I think what he says then, he says in verse 12, that I may be encouraged together with you by mutual faith of you and me. In other words, he's saying, I can just see God doing all these things that he's going to do in and through you, and that will be encouraging to me. In other words, when we come and we talk about the great and mighty works of God through the power of the Spirit, right? It encourages us. Whether God is healing a back or cancer or he's giving wisdom over a situation or he's showing a demonic spirit, his presence, all of these things encourage us that God is with us through his power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's what Paul is saying to this church because when he says that you may be established, what he is saying, that you may be strengthened. Let me think. I want to look at, I want to show you something. I love to see all these places in the Bible. Look at... um, 1 Corinthians 12 on page 1320. This is where Paul begins to talk about these spiritual gifts, the exact same words he's using here, these spiritual gifts. And in verse 4 of chapter 12, he says... um, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. He's saying, this is going to strengthen you. It's going to profit all of you. It's going to strengthen the church, and it's going to strengthen me as well because I'm going to be a part of where you are. Starting in verse 13 back in Romans, it says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. He's saying, I want to be there. I want to participate in the fruit that's going on. But do you see this? He says, I'm being hindered. Hmm. I'm being hindered. I love seeing this in print because this can be a couple of things. And I can't tell you exactly what it means, but I want you to press in and see what God might be sharing with you what it might mean. In verse 13 where it says, he wants to come but was hindered until now. This hindered, what would hinder him from going to Rome? He wants to be in the will of God. He does. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit that says, no, not yet. You will go to Rome, but when you go to Rome, you will actually go as a prisoner. It might be the will of God that he not go, and it might be the Holy Spirit that is holding him back and hindering him for going and saying, not yet. 
but it might also be the enemy of God. Because Paul has such a passion to go and to be a part of what God is doing and to strengthen them in what God is doing that the enemy might just be coming against that, do you think? That the enemy might be stopping them from him from getting to the place to strengthen this church. Sometimes when we're trying to get to church, we get hindered by the enemy that says, you know, you don't feel good today. You're not doing well. You know, you got a headache. You got this. You got that. And he tries to hinder us. Anybody here ever see that happen in your life? Yeah. Absolutely we do. He may make you uh, feel tired. He may just feel like you're overwhelmed. You've got too much going on. I mean, all these places. If there's a place that God is going to use you, even maybe somewhere that you're going to be with friends, and all of a sudden, you know, you just feel hindered about going, maybe God was going to allow you to speak and do something. In other words, what I'm telling you is I believe there's a battle. And I believe Paul sees that battle. So verse 14 says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. He's saying to those, he's, it, he is committed to the Greeks and the, and the, the uncircumcised and the, the ones that are not converted, the unbelieving. He's considered, he's uh, committed to them whether they're wise or unwise, in, in as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He's saying, listen, I want to go everywhere. I want to talk to anybody, anybody that'll listen to me. And I want to come to Rome to preach the gospel to you. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and for the Greeks. So he says, I am not ashamed of this. This is a funny place. And um, I was looking up some things and thinking about this place. And, and um, how, why in, Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because we just hear how powerful he's talking about all of this. And... Uh, but I think he's talking about when he goes into people who might be challenging. They are the Greeks or, or the uncircumcised or the unbelievers. And so Paul is saying, yes, that there are times you walk into these people who feel like you are foolish for what you believe. Anybody ever been in that situation before? When you wanted to share with people but you were hindered a little bit because they made you feel foolish about your faith to the gospel. I mean, after all, Jesus was crucified and everybody knew it. Only a select group believed he was raised. So is this a place that Paul says, I'm not ashamed to say I'm one of those. I'm one of those that I believe because I've seen and because I know and because the power 
of the Holy Spirit has moved in me. And I know, I know that he lives. I, I, I think Paul is just fired up here. And he says, I'm not ashamed of what I believe. And I'll share it with anybody. I'm excited to be a witness. And he says, I want to share the gospel of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And he says, for that is the power of God. That is what God chose to be the power that would save everyone who believes. Now, this, this word of saving everyone who believes is so watered down. So Paul goes on to help us understand it a little bit in verse 17. For he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Okay, so Paul wants us to understand 16 by saying 17. So when he comes and he says the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, he's really saying for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in this place. In other words, what is the righteousness of God? <clears throat> I believe the righteousness of God is he does what is right. Always. I believe that the righteousness of God is that he does what is just. Always. And by the way, the word here for righteousness and just is the same word. It means the same thing. So God is always right. He's always just. And I wrote something, and he's always consistent with his purpose. He's always right. He's always just, and it's always consistent with his purpose. He's never wrong. He's never dishonest. He's never late. He never missed it. He never had a second thought. He was never unfair. I think what Paul is saying is this one who believes has to believe in what's revealed in this place through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that is, is that he's always right. He's always just. And he has a purpose. You see, we just want to make this so casual. Well, I believe that Jesus died and was buried and even rose again. 
And Paul says, even the demons believe. I will never forget the day when Jesus saved me. And, and one of the things he said to me, that very point, he said, so what makes you different from the demons? What makes you different from the demons, Dad? Because they believe Jesus died. They know he died. They know he was buried, and they know he was raised. But their life doesn't reflect the righteousness of God. You see, the gospel is the power to salvation. It's the power that gives us that place that says, I see, God, you are always right. You are always just. You have a purpose. I may not understand it. I may not agree. I may not have enough knowledge to know what you're doing. But what I will declare to you today is, no matter what my flesh might think, you are right. And you are not unfair. And you are not unjust. And that the things that I have opened up in my life to allow for demonic presence to happen was not your plan. You see, Paul goes on to say that in verse 17, he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. You see, when you really understand your darkness, then the gospel begins to reveal the rightness of God. The only way for justice to be. Sometimes I ask people and I say, so do you think you're going to heaven when you die? And I have yet to have one person walk up to me and say, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to hell. I'm, I'm really okay with it. I think it'll be a great time. But never. But what people do, no matter where they are, no matter what state they're in, they say, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. Because you know, I say, why? They go, well, you know, all in all, I'm a pretty good person. I say, what, have you ever lied, ever? Have you ever stolen everything? Have, have you ever had any sexual relations that were not in alignment with God? Have you ever coveted something? Have you ever had another God other than really bowing down to the great I am? You see, if you take all your darkness and all your sins to heaven and I take all my darkness and all my sin to heaven, then when we all get there, have we got heaven? Or have we just got another earth with all our sin? So your goodness is not good enough. So Paul is saying, when you understand the gospel and you understand your darkness, you will see the rightness of God. 
you will see his righteousness and it will drive you to what he says next. He says it's revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He says the faithfulness of God is revealed. That's your first faith. I'm sorry, that's your second faith, the faithfulness of God. The first faith is your opportunity to join up with God's plan, to truly believe in his rightness, in his faithfulness, in his justness. So the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes from the Jew first and also for the Greeks. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from our faith into his faithfulness. From our choice to be all in, to be trusting in his faithfulness. And then, and then he says, as it is written. In other words, he says that's why it's written like this. He, uh, the just, shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. What he is saying is, if you are righteous, if you have received the righteousness of God because of your belief, it will change you. You see, we talked about God's righteousness, that he is always right, that he is always just. But in his plan of the gospel, through the death, burial, and resurrection of you truly putting in your complete trust, your surrendering to who he is, that he is right in all places, then he gives you his righteousness. Wow. If you are truly saved, you will receive the righteousness that you can't, you can't build your on your own, you can't make happen on your own. It can only come through Jesus. He places on you his righteousness, as if you never sinned. Wow. Through faith. And then it says, the just, the righteous, that's you, shall live by faith. Your faith will be so strong. Strong in what? In that he is righteous. In that he knew what needed to happen in my life to save me. To change me. To make a way for me. That my life will reflect it. And the just 
will live by faith. You see, it's the fruit of believing. Believing casually has no fruit at all. But believing in the way that Paul is talking about, your life will reflect his righteousness. His righteousness. The ones that have been changed, he calls them the just. Do you see that? The just, the ones that have been truly changed by God, who have received him completely, who have surrendered to his righteousness and received his righteousness, they they shall live by faith. Faith in who he is, in his righteousness. Paul's going to explain this even further next week as we move on. But if you want to read a great place this week, <clears throat> I would encourage you to read in some people call it Habakkuk, um, Habakkuk and all these things, but Habakkuk is on page <clears throat> 1080. <clears throat> it's on page 1080 in our Bibles here at the church. And this is a great place of where um, this was first used in the Old Testament. And I think it helps us to understand how this prophet was questioning God's judgment and whether or not God was fair and whether or not he did things as, as the prophet thought he should. But he gets to the very end and he has a change of heart. So it's a conversation with the prophet and with God. It's all it is. It's a conversation back and forth over the... Um, over Judah and um, so if you turn to page 1084 we'll close with this it's, it's Habakkuk uh, chapter 3 verse 18 So he gets to a place where he can't do anything but surrender to God's righteousness. And it says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't understand all things, but he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make a walk and he will make me walk on my high heels. He's saying he will cause me to walk in the ways that he desires, even though I don't understand all of it. He will cause that to happen. And he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. 
the one who delivers me. I was thinking about that word salvation, and I loved when God began to teach me a few years ago, and he said, it's more than just forgiving your sin debt. Salvation is when God takes you out of the darkness. Do you remember that? And places you in safety. That is salvation. I pray that if you're here today, that you will hear this call, that Paul is crying out, that each one of us would hear this call to believe in a way that our lives would be changed to reflect what we believe, and that is that he is righteous, he is just, and everything is consistent with his purpose. If you're here today and you haven't made that commitment, I pray that you would not leave here without surrendering. Next week, God will help us to understand why we need the gospel. But I think it is enough today to say our goodness is not enough. Stand with me, please.
Search me and know me. Come make me your own. Father, search me and know me. 